0: All right, welcome back to our study in the book of Romans. We're in Lesson 16, The Benefits of Justification by Grace Through Faith, Part 4. Today we're in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Our intent is to finish Romans 5 today, and then next week is Christmas Sunday. We will not have class, and then on January 1st to come back to Romans 6 and look at 6, 7, and 8 over those next number of weeks on sanctification. So let's look at the text then this morning, verses 12 to 21 of Romans chapter 5. A new identity in Christ is the fifth and final benefit we're talking about in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one... Death reigned through the One, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the One, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men." For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 5 then finishes for us this section on salvation, in which Paul has made us know that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this now completes that part of the book in which he's talked about the benefits of justification by grace. And namely, this part is a new identity in Christ. We have no longer to be what we were in Adam. We are in Christ when I think of this, I think of stories that I have either read or seen the movie, or both, such as Annie, right? Yes. Annie's right. Annie's Annie's living this life of not awesome, and then Whoa! <laughs> Mr. Warbucks Whoa! takes her in, and she's awesome. Or Oliver Twist, <laughs> right? Living under Fagin and pickpocketing, and then. Whoa! Adopted into a new world. Uh, that's the picture of Romans five. Romans five is the backstory of justification by grace. We used to be the Oliver Twist character. Our identity was in that, and that because of someone's kindness apart from us, and the identification that they had chosen us and brought us in. We now have this adopted status, which has changed everything because we're in Christ we're no longer in Adam and so this passage is all about that we used to be in Adam now we're in Christ well that's all I got let's close in prayer (laughs) it was a long cruise (laughs) Amen. (laughs) read the text pray a lot it'll be good so let's just really two major points today all humans are in Adam and therefore guilty of Adam's sin That's the first few verses. The second part is very simple. All believers are in Christ and are therefore justified by grace. Okay? Very simple. So let's start with the first point in this passage. All humans are in Adam and guilty of Adam's sin. It has a lot of ramifications to understand and buy into this today. Number one, sin entered the world through him. Uh, We're in Adam. He was a great guy, so are we. (laughs) Because we're in Adam. Therefore... Just as through one man sin entered into the world. Raises a lot of questions. Why this one man thing? What world are we talking about? Didn't Eve sin first? Didn't Satan bring sin? Why is he accounted for that? Let's look at that as a first stop. Why is Adam singled out? I mean, after all, didn't Satan first bring sin into the world? I mean, Adam had not sinned yet. And didn't Eve sin first, apparently, as you look at the text? Let's say this, as we did a little bit last week. Correct. Satan had already sinned before he ever came to tempt Eve and and Adam. So sin existed in the universe before this sin. Uh, But the key is going to be understanding the word world. Sin entered into the world. What world? We'll talk about that in a bit, but I'll simply say the world of men as opposed to the universe uh, is what it's talking about. We'll, we'll try to define that in a minute. But secondly, didn't Eve apparently sin first? I mean, she, she takes the uh, whatever fruit it was, almost certainly an apple, right? You know, but the problem wasn't the apple in the tree, it was the pear on the ground. Yeah, oh. okay, that's the that dad joke of the day. But Eve apparently or appears to sin first, but you have the twofold reality that Adam is watching, apparently. He is right there. And his sin of not doing anything, it's a combo platter. It's not simply eating the fruit himself, His his decision to go ahead and sin, but it's also the silence of Adam that he did nothing to stop Eve because he had been appointed the federal head. That sounds pretty impressive. We'll talk about that here. Why is Adam singled out? Why? Because he is the one who's the representative. That God had done that. He had named Eve. It was out of him. The human race is named Adam. It is named man because he has been the federal head. What does that mean? Federal headship headship is another way in my estimation of saying representative government he was the representative sent to make decisions on our behalf we weren't there but we were there seminally as scripture later talks about in the loins of of someone who preceded us we were there seminally but we weren't there yet objectively speaking but he represented the entire human race at that point and so it's another way of saying that. Uh, one individual represents another in a federation or under a covenant. And that's the form of government we have in the United States. It's representative form of government. Uh, we may not like uh, or, or vote for a particular governor or, or president who gets in, but they are able to, for example, a president can start a war with Congress not with Congress, but uh, with, you, know, you know what I'm saying, and, uh, and they can draft and bring our sons or daughters into the military, and they represented us in going to war against a different country. We may be like, man, I wasn't in on that. Uh, we have a representative form of, cover- of government. We do not have a democracy. We have a democratic republic. That is, we vote towards our representatives, but our representatives make huge decisions on our behalf, which have consequences for us. This is actually the way God has set up the government of spiritual life and the gospel. Adam represented us in the garden. He was all mankind when he made that decision and plunged us into that. Now, in a minute or in a couple minutes, we'll talk about the fairness doctrine. Right, like, what's up with that? I didn't get a vote, so it wasn't cool. And we'll talk about that, because it's a real question. It's a real question, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So let me go on in my explanation here. God appointed Adam as the representative of the human race. When Adam sinned, we all sinned, because we were all represented by him. Adam went to war with God, and therefore we went to war with God as our federal head. His disobedience was imputed to us, right? That's what scripture keeps talking about, three imputations. It was credited to our account as if we had made that decision. Let me get way ahead of my notes and say this. Let's say that God did not set up a form of government in which representation was the case, but rather every individual would make their own decision and be representing themselves, and no one could come to your aid. If you failed, you failed on your own. But no one could ever rescue you because no one was allowed to also represent your case. Yeah, it's libertarianism, man. Thank you, Lawrence. (laughs) And so you get a vote, right? So the second person, the third person come in, Cain, Abel, whoever, and they all get to do their own thing. They represent themselves. But if you fail, no one is allowed to ever represent you to get you out of your problem then we're all goners we're all goners so you always would live with the reality I'm the best person on the planet because all those other morons gave in okay good we'll, we'll praise you if Adam had never sinned it would have been something like that right if Adam had never sinned we'd all gone along but we'd all been our own merit if you will but that's a whole different conversation in God setting up this this plan that Adam would represent us it's not the most terrible plan for us it's the most merciful plan because it's Christ who then man to man comparison will represent anyone who believes in him everyone can be saved through the one representative who can now come to your aid as your attorney because God set up a mercy you get a second chance but if there was one on one and you never got it you only represent yourself no one can come to your aid there is no second chance if you blow it you can't say help me Because you just said, I don't want help. And so it's actually a mercy to do this. So the doctrine of federal headship, or being the representative of a federation or over a covenant of people, is crucial to understanding the doctrine of imputation. Namely, in Romans chapters 3 to 5, Paul's carefully laid out the centrality of Christ's imputation of righteousness and the doctrine of justification. Hey, just a reminder, at the bottom of the page... Adam sinned to all men. Check. The sin of the elect to Christ on the cross. Check. And then Christ's righteousness to believers. Imputed. These three imputations are the key to understanding the whole gospel, aren't they? If you don't agree with the first one, either in principle, you think this just isn't fair, so it shouldn't be the case, then in principle you should also reject Christ's representation of you as well you're a principled person so you're against representation just admit I'm principally against Christ dying for me I'd rather do this on my own secondly though with this if you reject it on the basis of theology namely it's 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 a fairness doctrine and I don't think our sins were actually Adam's sin has never been given to all men God didn't do that because the Bible teaches otherwise. Uh, You will have some other problems, but I won't discuss those for about three pages, okay? Now look at that. But if you start with Adam's sin was sent to my account, then you have two things in your favor. Number one, you have hope because Christ can take care of that problem. And number two, it will explain why everyone dies. The wages of sin is death through one man's sin Death entered the world. And all men died. Because they all sinned. If you think all sinned there means they all personally sinned, that's why they die. It's hard to explain the death of infants who have not volitionally died or sinned. Why does everyone die? Because everyone was guilty in Adam's sin. And God told him that. If you do this, human man guy, Adam... You will plunge everyone into death. Why does everyone die? Because everyone is under Adam's curse. Everyone in the human race. There's no... But, 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 but... We'll get there in the text. Just feeding the information. Okay, last point. Bottom right page. What font is that? I don't even know. I know it's Avenir Book, but it's 7.5, 6.5 at the bottom? I don't know. But a reminder on imputation theologically, Grudem says, to think of as belonging to someone and therefore to cause to belong to that person. God thinks of Adam's sin as belonging to us and it therefore belongs to us. In justification, he thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and so relates to us on that basis. And again, my favorite verse in the book of Romans, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is credited as righteousness that's where I want to be I think that Romans 5 12 to 21 is the most difficult passage in Romans to interpret I also think it's the the most simple one huh? I think the main points are extremely right there. And then there's a lot of sub points that make it really hard. Maybe it's a little illustration, but you go to a restaurant you really like, and the food is awesome. You're like, oh, man, this is so good. It's simple. It tasted great. It looked good. But if the chef were to come out and say, what did you think of my food? <laughs> That's weird, since it's an Ethiopian restaurant. That wasn't, you know. I mean, I, I do like the injera, but you know. But but if the chef came out and said, "What do you think of the food?" Oh, it's amazing. How did you do that? And went on to a huge explanation. First, I took the scallops, and then I wham, 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 and then I double flambéed the wonky dookies. And you're like, cool. Can I get another plate of that? Right. Romans five to me is a lot like that. Crazy ideas come out of this passage when you don't keep it in the context of the whole book, which we are doing. And you can leave Romans 5 thinking, Jesus saves everybody. Everybody's going to get saved. And that's why we need to break down this passage really carefully. Yeah, Lawrence, in that. So and here that make Christ the federal head of the church and not of humanity as Adam is the federal head of humanity. Lawrence, great question. Lawrence's question for the tapesake sake is, so is Christ the federal head of the church but not of humanity? Correct. That's right. Adam is the federal head of all humans, uh, physically, our spiritual uh, progenitor of, for us, but Christ is only of those who believe. And our key, beautifully asked, because otherwise this passage looks like, every time it talks about all men, or Christ did that the many, you can just say, oh, it's the same group he's always talking about, except for there's a couple of passages or verses in here that clarify to whom he is speaking. And those are going to be extremely important to say, Christ is the head for all those who believe. And it talks about that in a couple of the verses. Good. Excellent question. Yes, sir? Um, real quick, before we move on. I yeah. just had this question in um, verse 14. hmm where it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, yeah. even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Yep. Type of, you know, mm-hmm. um, was to come. so. So when it says, even in those, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of, of mm-hmm. the offense of Adam, is that saying? Is that talking about what you were explaining with um, infants who died? Yeah, yeah. Or or people that yeah have, have had not. Um, mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah. no it's an excellent question verse 14 that sin reigned from Adam to Moses and death reigned from Adam to Moses in that time um, and then it goes on the verse says even over those who did not sin after the similitude or in the likeness of or in the similar fashion to Adam even in those death reigned, sin reigned uh, and so later in my notes I'm going to try to make the point more definitively he is speaking there of anyone who did not consciously volitionally violate a known law of God of which that would be infants etc etc even over them, why? his point is from Adam to Moses everyone dies how do you explain that if it's personal sin only that takes you there Adam personally sinned so you know why he died But what about those who don't personally sin? Paul's point is, we're all sinners by virtue of being in Adam as our representative. And even over those who did not do the same manner of sin, they all die because they are in Adam's sin. They're guilty of that. But we're not going to try to prove that yet. That's three pages in to where we get into the actual text. So it's the nature of sin that brings forth death. No, no, it's a, it's a law guilt. Uh, here, it's not talking about your nature. It's talking about your legal guilt before the court. Okay. So he was the representative before the court, Adam was, and he broke God's law, the violation of his law. Therefore, he is guilty as a criminal. And we are therefore criminals. We are enemies of God, as Romans talks about. This is, this is apart from last week's conversation of the nature of man. We're also sinners by nature. But we have sinned before God's law. So we're enemies of God, and we're also sinners as well. That's why our problem is not simply that we sin, but that we are sinners, so we keep sinning. Is that why Joe prayed for the unintentional sins of his children? unintentional sin. Job's prayer for his unintentional sins, right? There's four categories of Hebrew sin, and we won't get into those, right? There's transgressions, there's lawlessness, as the New Testament talks about, which is a known violation, a decided violation of God's law. There's transgressions, there's trespassing sins, but we won't get into all those breakdowns. Yeah. Uh, Julie? So, is this a correct analogy, Mm -hmm. that our being sinners because of Adam? Let's say you have a group project in college, and... The whole and they put a tree in the middle of the road. And yeah, like maybe you have one person who doesn't do any work on yeah. the team. Yeah. I mean, but the whole team either passes or fails, no matter what each person does in that team. Yeah. That's a good. Way. I, I, I think where, no, no, where the analogies might break down. I think if we get to the core point, is this: we understand representative form of government, and that someone can represent us. A mediator can represent you in a court case. You know, you come down, you've argued with, and every, the mediator's going to make a final decision. Someone can represent others, and that's God's form of, of doing things. Because we know it is on the back end, because that's the only salvation we can have is in Christ. He represented us, He's our only hope. We're in Him. So, so that's the point. Okay, page two then. Good, good questions. So now we have to define what is sin. All right? Therefore, through one man, sin entered into the world. What exactly are we talking about? I think 1 John 3 4 gets right to the point. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Uh, We're also told in other passages, Romans chapter 4 itself says, hey, where there is no law, there is no sin. And in this passage, in Romans chapter 5, it says, Look, before from Adam to Moses, sin was happening in the heart. And the sin of Adam was still killing people. Everyone was guilty. But God wasn't also, on a third level, adding to their guilt because there wasn't any law. Now, there were individual commands God gave to individual people. But God had not put the law out there so everyone was guilty if you violated God's law. From about 4,000 B.C. to about 1445 B.C., there is no written law. For 2,500 years, humanity was under conscience and the conviction of creation and on individuals that God spoke to and gave them rules and regulations within their context to do. But there's no written law that everyone could say, you're violating Leviticus 17. (laughs) that's a mercy because God for 2500 years doesn't add compounding sins on top of Adam's sin and personal sins against conscience and that's why it says in this passage between Adam and Moses sin was not imputed now don't hear that as no one sinned because it says sin reigned from Adam to Moses and the sin of Adam was causing death showing that guilt under Adam was real there was sinning going on because every man is without excuse. Romans chapter 1. They saw creation, they're without excuse. But God didn't compound it by putting up more traffic signs. Everybody was driving crazy. But signs could go up and say, when you drive crazy, you're going to die. And God didn't put the law in there until 1445 BC. Why did He put the law? This passage also reminds us what Galatians says He put the law so that there'd be an increase in transgressions. What's that about? so that, Galatians 3, it'd be a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It would tell everybody, you're not good. You're you're not as good as you think you are. I was just not putting any rules out there. Now there's rules that say, don't step on the grass, don't do this, don't do this, make sure you bring this offering. And people couldn't keep that for 12 minutes. Because those 2,500 years, someone could say, you know, Uh, you know, if I just had the chance like Adam had, I'd be okay. Well, I'm sure I could obey all this stuff. And so God gave the law to show men that they needed the gospel. And so the dispensation, this shows my hand from 1445 to the time of Christ, the time of the law, is merely meant to show humanity there is no way to get this right. Um, So isn't that then God's not mercy, it's his justice? No, because in this passage, again, it's going to say, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And that is, on the back end of the law was Christ's death. His grace and his forgiveness is larger than all the sins accumulated under the law. That was greater. Man, I'm just preaching. (laughs) Okay, so what is sin? It's a violation of a known law. Where there is no law, there is no sin that's imputed to you. Uh, That should be the way good government acts, right? If there's no speed limits anywhere posted and assumed, then you use wisdom. I'm not a lawyer, uh, but uh, you, you can't be held to a specific standard if there is no standard. So what does the word world mean? Therefore, through one man, sin entered the world. Okay, I could do a whole theology on this, but let's not, but let's say this. It's confusing in the New Testament if you're not aware that the word world in the New Testament has at least 10 different meanings. Now, let's just for sake of fun do this really quick. In the English language, when we use the word world, okay, what are ways in which we use the word world? What can it mean? Physical Okay, so physical earth here in the world as opposed to Mars or wherever in this world Okay, what else? Behavior. Behavior. Um, As in worldly. Being worldly, okay. We use it right. It's it's the world system. You're behaving like the world system. Right. <laughs> the world of sports. The wide world of sports. <laughs> <laughs> What was that guy's name? Man, I always, as a kid, watching the wild world of sports and having that guy come down that, that huge thing, and it's like, he's going to get wiped. Every time you're like, he's getting wiped. I know this is going to happen. The agony of defeat. The agony of defeat. <laughs> and the affected the same every time you saw it. Yeah, every time you saw it. The Wide world of sports is a great illustration because it means that sphere or realm in which we're talking about, but it's not every individual in the world. It's not everybody... It's a world in itself. Okay, just a couple more that we use the way... Every human being, as opposed to the whole world. Everyone, okay, The, the whole world knows that such and such is the case. Now, that can be divided into two. That means, generally speaking, everybody. And in some cases, we could mean every single person on the planet. Everyone in the world breathes who's alive. We've now spoken about every human being who's alive. Right, exactly Anything? What's that? Perspective Uh, What do you mean by that, Matt? The world according to Jeff Goldblum Oh, good The the world according to Jeff Goldblum (laughs) I've seen a couple of those I haven't I have Yeah, he's he's an interesting guy Right, uh, a world perspective Okay, now you see that our English language is flexible Just like the Greek language is flexible Here are ten ways the word world is used in Greek in the Gospel of John. So when people say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, means that Jesus tried to die for everybody and save everyone because he meant everyone in the world. Maybe, or maybe it's not. So let's take a look. Ten ways it's used. I'll do these quickly. It's not the crux to my conversation today. But it's important to know what Adam spread into whom. Uh, Steve Lawson points out there are ten uses of the word world just in John's Gospel universal all of creation. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Number two, the physical earth. Now before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. Number three, this world system, as Morag has mentioned. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. All of humanity, minus believers, John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, Jesus says, because I testify about it. That, it, that its works are evil. Number five, a large group. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are, going, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Number six, the general public. No one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. The world. No, anyway. Number seven, large groups, both Jew and Gentile. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is, people in general. Number eight, the human realm in general. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. My argument there would be other scriptures delineate for whom Christ died and why he was there, but for God so loved the world of men. People that he did this. Number nine in the Gospel of John, you also know that John uses the word "world" to mean people who are not believers, and therefore John three sixteen should not be understood to mean everyone. Uh, I am praying for them, Jesus said. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Uh, Jesus distinguishes the world to the elect. Right. And number 10, the elect, John three seventeen, in my estimation. Also, Mr. Lawson says so, so it must be right. Uh, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay. Well, in that regard, I think what we have in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, is simply this. Therefore, through one man, Adam, the federal head therefore through one man's sin a breaking of God's law that sin and therefore through one man's sin uh, death entered into the world and so what we have here is the world being what probably speaking in this regard the world of human world number eight in general is what I would think Paul is talking about Uh, where did sin enter? into the human world as opposed to the angelic realm which it already was in as opposed to theocratic world God cannot sin so there were three worlds if you will and so into the human world came sin through Adam's representation now think of this if Eve had gone up and said okay I'll take that fruit eat it Adam and Adam said whoa no 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 not going there Now, if it was true that Eve sinned first, let's just go with that. Eve personally sinned, but she did not have Adam's sin on her yet. Her representative has not fallen. The king is still fighting, but someone has capitulated to the enemy. But the rest of the warriors are safe because the king has not given in. At this point in history, if Adam had said well, you've gone to the enemy, but enemy, get thee behind me. Who knows what happens? But the point of it is, Eve would not have had Adam's transgression imputed to her because the federal head had not fallen. But she had her own personal sin. So when we talk about it's not fair. Well, Eve didn't didn't even wait for the federal head. (laughs) So she sinned without the federal head. Then when he sinned, it went on top of that. Her personal sin plus her... (coughs) representative sin. Adam's sin was to himself. He also sinned in sinning, obviously, personally, and as a head, but the federal head of his sin went to hers. Now, the question is, did he sin at the same time? That's really not our point. But do you see what I mean? It's important to understand the imputation. Alright, number two. Death entered the world through him. What happened that day, spiritual death and physical death came later. Spiritual death was immediate. Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in verse 5, even when you were dead in your transgressions. This is speaking of course of spiritual death that can only be overcome by the life of regeneration which goes on to say he made us alive together with Christ. But in Genesis 5, why is Genesis 5 in there? The chronology for many reasons but it's mainly to tell us that even though Adam lived 900 years and it seemed like well he got away with that <laughs> you know for almost 900 and something years it like not going to die. You know, smoking two cigarettes a day. Uh, two packs. Um, <laughs> see, I don't smoke, so I... Uh, much. But, um, you know, I have a lot of movies I like. Princess Bride is my favorite movie. Okay, so any of you are out there, we can talk about that. But in a warped way, I like Groundhog Day. <laughs> and one of my favorite scenes in Groundhog Day is you know the the story in Groundhog Day right uh, if you don't it means this guy he can't die he basically whatever he does he lives for a day and then he wakes up the next morning it's the same thing over and over again and so no matter what he does during the day he wakes up the next morning if he dies he gets run over by a train it doesn't matter one of my favorite scenes is him in a diner with like 600 donuts in front of him and whatever and he's just, he's just chugging away and he's like It doesn't matter. I can't die, you know? Those kind of feelings. And I have no idea why I'm saying that. (laughs) Oh, oh, Adam. Adam. Adam may have felt after 900 years it was Groundhog Day. You know, that's always kind of occurred to me. It's like, he lives long, so long. With us, we get it. I mean, Adam didn't have the shortened lifespan that we have because of the influence of sin. And we know our lives are short, and they're a vapor. And so, but Genesis 5 says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. This is important. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them Adam, man, in the day when they were created. God made them in his likeness, but that's not what Adam produces. Verse 3 When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness. Little sinner Johnny. Where did those sinful children come from, Carla? They must be from your side of the family. We never did anything like that in the Doyle's house in his own likeness and according to his image that's sort of after his kind sinners and named him Seth then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years he had other sons and daughters and so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died that's the beauty here and then the rest of the chapter he died he died he died. Yes, Steve. I'll go back a little bit. Um, when we were talking about when Eve um, sinned first. Yeah. I, I used to think about, well, maybe if Adam hadn't hadn't sinned, then maybe God would have just made him another. Another wife. Another wife. Mm-hmm. His you... trophy wife. <laughs> I would have been scared, though, that. <laughs> I just chortled. That was rough. Okay. Um, could, could Adam, as being her representative, could he have died for her? Good question, Steve. Could could Adam have died for her? No, and it's a longer conversation. He, he could not have represented her in that sense to die for her because he doesn't have a righteousness to replace her unrighteousness. He only had innocence. Oh. You know what I'm saying? But Christ had... Christ has infinite righteousness on his account and in his being, to which he can apply, if you will, just being really quick in a mathematic sense. Adam had innocence, but he did not have righteousness. Uh, That was a matter of his life. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Page three. See, there is a whiteboard session on page three. I did it ahead. so that um, in God's providence I didn't know this was going to be up here but I decided I would just put the whiteboard session in here uh, in case I, I didn't get a chance up there so number three death spread to all men through him and condemnation spread to all men through him verses 12, 13, 14, 16 and 18 that's the fourth point under what's it like to be an Adam and so let me read those verses again and so death spread to all men For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law, as we have mentioned. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. This is telling us, the rest of the chapter set up, uh, Adam represented all of us. He's a type of what you're going to see in Christ who represented all those who believe. Okay. And verse 16 and on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in what? condemnation not simply death because some people might say well you could be an Adam's pro, pro, he's a progenitor and we all die because of that but it does not imply moral condemnation simply physical death which was a penalty and been able to physically stay alive they would have been zombies because you're going to be a wicked sinner the rest of your life and stuck in this body and there's no redemption and that's why God's mercy also he kicked him out of the garden because if you stay in the garden you eat of that tree you can walk around a sinner the rest of your life but who does, who wants to stay like this? It's kind of like a groundhog story It's a groundhog story you're stuck, you're stuck in the garden Oh, well, that's a good point Steve, good point instead of groundhog day it's like Garden of Eden day you know, so... Alright, to, to the last point up at the top then, verse 18. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. So get this in your mind again. First, verse 12, Adam's sin as representative caused us all to have sinned in that moment. He represented us. We all were guilty of his sin. So we die. But death is not the final condemnation. That is the symbol that we're in Adam. Our physical death is merely a symbol that we are associated to Adam. Our moral condemnation is the result of this. Adam was condemned that day. We are condemned. We are guilty of Adam's sin. We are not simply having consequences of his sin physically. And so this little uh, whiteboard drawing here, um, left to right, is just simply uh, a picture of those verses above. That is, left to right, approximately 4,000 BC, who knows. Adam is told, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will surely die. But sin enters through Adam. Death came through sin. All die because all sinned in Adam. Yet at the bottom of that drawing, I put conscience and creation to remind us they weren't without any kind of knowledge. They were without a moral, physical law. But they had their conscience. They knew God. They didn't honor him as God. They exchanged God's glory for another. As we went through Romans chapter 1, everyone is without excuse from the knowledge of creation and conscience. And yet, middle of this whiteboard, from 4014 death reigned. Why do all die? Adam was the federal head. Personal sins were not imputed. The kind of personal sins that the law would have been about were not imputed to people during that age, but there, because there was no law and there was no sin against known laws, there was only sin against that which was already known through the revelation that God gave to Adam and Noah and Abraham. And then finally, this existed till the time of the law, and then sin against the law began to be imputed. So let's talk about this below that picture real quick. Guys, thanks for coming to class today. It would have been a lot harder to teach this without people in here. Um, so OK, some things here. Death spread to all men, Death spread to infants. We have to talk about that. I mentioned four weeks ago that this is a logical conversation. I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't claim to be the authority. But I do think you have to have a biblical solution to the question. What happens to everyone? who dies Okay. so death spread to all men death is the universal reality that reminds us of the following things in my estimation number one it reminds us that Adam sinned and we're guilty oh I go to a funeral what does it tell me I'm part of Adam's race and I'm next it was the evidence of sin that's an evidence of sin it's the outward symbol of an inward reality Just like baptism and Lord's Supper. Death is everyone's Lord's Supper. Number two, our guilt and sin. It reminds me hey, wait, it wasn't just Adam. I'm going to die because I'm also a sinner. Number three, it reminds me of God's righteousness, his wrath, and his sovereignty when I go to a funeral. Number four, it reminds me that Satan has a sure defeat. Satan lied. He said it wouldn't do this to us. God said it would, and people die. I'm going to go with the guy who's in charge. Don't fear the one who can just kill the body. Fear the one who can put your soul in hell. Number five, the coming day of judgment, I am reminded of. Uh, this person died, and men are, it says uh, men are um, appointed once to die, and then the judgment. And number six, it reminds me of the universal curse. It's not just on man, it's on the whole earth, Romans 8 right, the earth is groaning uh, you know, that's why that's why unfortunately I can't pet bears <laughs> <laughs> yeah. dolphins are fine okay, dolphins and penguins are my favorite animals, I think oh, and golden retrievers um, but man, what about bears I want to talk to some bears, but maybe C.S. Lewis is right, we'll talk to them later, number seven everyone's need of a savior that's really the point of death Okay, guys, take a deep breath and let's not ask Dave any questions until we get to the end of this, okay? Uh, Not because I'm afraid of questions, but I do think you need to hear my flow of consciousness here, okay? Not because you'll agree with it, but at least hear it out and, and at least do this. Whatever your understanding is, ground it to scripture. Not to the emotion or not to the, oh, that disagrees with my tradition or that's not the way I had it framed or that hurts because I have lost a child. Uh, for the husband and particularly for the mom I can't frame it in different ways I could be wrong in my understanding but please whatever you do if you reject my view of it reject it on the basis of I disagree with that because of scripture and I find that in scripture there's an argument for this against what Dave is saying do you understand what I'm saying so it's good and godly people can disagree about that. They do. I've written books. On, I've read books on both sides. <laughs> if I wrote books on both sides, I'm crazy. Uh, and good and godly people disagree about this. But understand, this is my understanding, given that we've been through Romans 1 through 5, this is the way I would frame it. Okay? So let me, let me give that view, and then I will entertain whatever questions. So when it says, death spread to all men, because all are condemned and all sinned, these are some implications. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Uh, I understand that to be the death of an infant, is a reminder that everyone in Adam is guilty and under the wrath of God unless they are saved through Christ. Paul's point here is that even those who do not consciously, <coughs> volitionally transgress against a known law of God, Adam did are still guilty of Adam's sin since they are in Adam who was our federal head that's my understanding of this whole passage if I apply that to everyone you all would say amen but if you start to apply it to the question of infants people are like that can't be God's good, God's fair God's just he wouldn't do that but the text as I understand it only gives me that as a view right So here's some things I would say about that. Um, Some are going to say that infants are innocent and they are not guilty of Adam's sin as a starting place. So how do you get an infant who dies into heaven directly? You have to posture one of three or four ideas. Number one, that they're innocent. That no one who has if they have not personally sinned, they are therefore innocent before God. Remember, that's what we're talking about. Therefore, God would not punish someone who is innocent against His law, and therefore they go to heaven automatically because they're innocent. They're sort of in the position of Adam was before he sinned. They're really little Adams in the womb, and they're waiting, tabula rasa, waiting to go to heaven. Or, (coughs) they are part of Adam's race, but God has not made them guilty of Adam's sin. But then, what did all that other stuff mean? <laughs> uh, that we are guilty of Adam's sin. Or thirdly, that Christ died for the babies. And that he is saving... Oh, I'm not even off page th- three. I'm not even done. Yeah. But, um, so let's start with number one. Why do babies die? Here are some of the problems I have with the view that children are innocent... Or not guilty of Adam's sin and therefore they go directly to heaven number one why do babies die if they're not guilty of Adam's sin and Adam's sin brought death and they die why Uh, if their death is not from the curse of Adam's sin then why are they being punished now there's pieces here Um, uh, now I'll address that in the second one if they haven't personally sinned, then Christ didn't die for their sins would be my point. If you posture children, children in the womb have not sinned personally, and therefore they're not sinners, and they're not under the curse of Adam, uh, then Christ did not die for them. Acknowledge that. You, you have to, in your theology, realize Christ only died for sinners. So if what you're going to say in your theology is, I got this, um, they're not sinners then Christ didn't have to die for them. Then they truly are innocent, and there was no sin nature, or there's no guilt of Adam's sin passed on. But that's going to start bumping against the rest of the Bible. And so here's a few things I say about that. So if children are not sinners, on what basis are they in heaven? Uh, You say, because they're not sinners. But Scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But someone, I should have said, instead of you say. That's very adversarial. Um, But you say. (laughs) That verse is only talking about people who can sin. It's only talking about adults or those volitionally sinning. Infants can't sin. But again, Scripture says, that in Adam's one sin, all sinned. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification one led to condemnation of all okay well then there's usually another out at this point I cannot draw in there okay here's heaven here's the hospital where little Davy is going to be born with his big belly and there he is there's little Davy being born March 5th, 1959 St. Anne's Hospital, Fall River, Massachusetts nice little Catholic boy I was given last rites twice God's good to me but there's little Davy being born But what God did for little Davy was to bypass this whole problem with Adam's sin. He just sent a soul from heaven into that little boy. And a stork brought it. (laughs) Whatever storks look like. (laughs) (laughs) Because we know that when God puts that soul into that little boy, it's a good soul. Because God would never create anything bad. And souls come from God. And God makes souls, so God put the soul in the baby, and therefore it bypasses our problem. A couple of you, one visitor today is like, uh uh. Nah. Don't be teaching that. Uh, Let me talk about that. Uh, Souls are the immaterial part of us. And Adam produced offspring in his likeness, in his image not in God's image uh, we know that there are multiple verses the basic idea number four everyone is guilty of Adam's sin everyone has a sin nature Ru-ru. if God's producing in a factory new babies right, and they're just pumping them out uh, maybe you ought to become a Mormon by the way but if, if you think that that's happened then where do they get their sin nature? then now you're only into now you're into nurture not nature but the problem is scripture is very clear by nature children are sinners number 3 or c in sin did my mother conceive me david is not saying his mother had an adulterous or fornicating relationship through which he came but i was conceived as a sinner this is a basic david idea 4 or d infants die proving that they are sinners because the wages of sin is death arguments to say that Christ died even though he wasn't a sinner that would be your out but look Jesus, uh, Jesus died and he never sinned that doesn't work does it uh, they're fruitless in my estimation because he was sin for us he was a sinner in God's economy and thus he had to die E if you say that babies are not sinners then Christ is not their savior they might get to heaven in your theology, but Christ is not their savior. You say, yes, he is in some other sense. Okay, just play with that. As he died not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Their sins would not therefore be paid for if he did not die for them. And F, we're back to original sin, original guilt, condemnation. They condemn sufficiently. And we've already talked about it in five chapters total depravity about four times where Paul says, none good, none righteous. No, not one. Nobody's... Nobody seeks. Nobody has a good mind. Nobody desires. We're sinners by nature and choice, but we're sinners before God because of Adam's representative sin. All right, we have to go through three buts, though. Number five. Wait a minute, the person would say. What about the age of accountability? That's a good question. The idea of the age of accountability is sometimes taught concerning the city Israel conquered in the Old Testament and given as an example. For Israel was told to conquer cities, and it's usually given that in one of the cities they went into, they were told, hey, there's a bunch of people in there. They don't know their left hand from their right. It's also the case in the prophet Malachi that's talking about that. No, no, no. And Jonah. Jonah. Thank you, Jonah. That in, in Nineveh, there's, they don't know their left hand from their right and therefore, there's children in there, and so I'm going to be merciful. Uh, now, I could do a 45 minutes on that particular passage in Jonah. That doesn't mean that, but that's not even going to be my point. The point is, the argument is usually this. Children are innocent before God. Therefore, God told Israel never to harm them. They haven't read, they haven't read Joshua 6. And so in Joshua six, twenty and 21 during the campaign to take over the cities. So the people shouted, and priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down, flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. And what happened? Verse 21. They, Israel, utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox, sheep, donkey with the edge. With the sword. This was not an Israel out of control. This is what they were to do. There was a ban on this city. The point of it is this. It doesn't prove the thing, but what it does undermine, or take out, is the idea that children are inherently innocent before God. That they should never be involved in a judicial matter, because they're innocent, and therefore God would not have their life taken. B, isn't taking the life of an unborn child through abortion a sin because of the sanctity of human life and the innocence of the unborn? No. That is not why it's wrong. Here's some thoughts human life is not sacred. Right? Right? Human life, right, I know, there's more. Okay. Human life is not sacred in itself, in the sense, now this is a poorly constructed sentence that I have here, but trust me, it won't get any better. <laughs> Human life is not sacred, and then in parentheses, in the sense that we need to defend pro life because the children are supposedly innocent before God. So let me stop there. Poorly constructed, but what I'm saying is the life in the womb is not somehow extra sacred because that child is innocent before God but rather they're made in the image of God and therefore there's a sacredness to that but it is not talking about the moral quality to say that a child is in the image of God and so let me go on with my point but rather because we are made originally in the image of God and the children are judicially innocent in regard to human government and law It is wrong to take the life of another human being who has not violated a capital offense or has not done a capital offense. Romans, uh, Genesis 9, uh, Noah, and then uh, by virtue of that, has told all of us that we can take human life when human life is taken by another person. A murderer can have their life taken from them. We are not allowed to take people's lives without a crime against a capital offense, either the law of God in the Old Testament, theocracy, or in the case of certain laws. Children in the womb are judicially innocent to human law, but they are not innocent before God. Therefore, we are not to take their life because we have no jurisdiction there. We defend the rights of the unborn before human courts because the infant has not broken human law. Also, it is murder to take their lives because of their judicial innocence, not because the infant's supposed moral innocence before God. Do you know what I'm saying? All have sinned in Adam, therefore all are morally by law guilty before God's court. And so, as much as I support pro-life and have been part of the Randall Terry things in the past before I knew they were bombing abortion clinics but taking have taken place in all of that <clears throat> I don't do so on the basis of their moral innocence I do so that they're made in the image of God it is wrong to murder people and therefore we should not murder and then C, doesn't David's reaction to the death of his child in the Old Testament prove that all children who die in infancy go to heaven you know the story of course with Bathsheba He has the child out of wedlock wedlock with her. And then that child, God tells him, as a result of his sin, David's sin, that child is going to die. He's told that through Nathan the prophet. But he prays, he fasts. David won't do anything. He's laying on the ground for days and days. And then the child dies. They're even afraid to tell him the child dies because he's so distraught. And once they do tell him, he asks, is the child dead? They say yes. He gets up, he clothes himself, he eats, he worships and all of this, and they're like, what just happened here? What's the big change here? And David says, "Uh, look, while he was alive, I begged God, and I thought maybe God would allow this, but he didn't. But now that the child has died, I cannot bring him back, but I will go to be with him. It sounds like, and could be an argument for, David believed that all children... Uh, in infancy, who die, go to heaven. Because David could be saying, I believe that to be true. Now, I can't tell from this one narrative. A lot of things happen in narratives in the Bible where you're like, I'm going to insert my theology, and that's what we're doing when we get there. Let's admit it both ways. If you say, that shows you that he did. He believed every child went to heaven. That's what you're reading into it from that, and, and, and here's what I read into it. Okay, so, so at least... Take take what I I think. He says, I will go to him and he will not come to me. David prayed that the Lord would spare the child, but Nathan had already told him the child would die. After the child died, David no longer fasted and prayed because the child's destiny was fixed. So David said that the child would not come to him, but he would go to him. This could sound, sound mean? (laughs) What what was I doing? Uh, This could mean, I should say, that David had a hope of seeing the child again in the afterlife. I have to admit that. It could also mean that David was simply saying, look, I'm going to die as well, but while the child was still alive, I hoped against hope. We all die and go to the grave. I can't bring him back. I do believe in, if we did a longer study, there are a couple other passages worth you looking at in the Old Testament where someone uses similar language, Jacob does, and one other person where they say, basically, I can't do that. I, I'm going to go there, but they're not coming back here those passages seem to me to be saying I'm going to go to the grave and so into the afterlife and I can't bring them back to this life is David saying he believes all children go to heaven I think that's a long stretch but it may give you comfort in some sense okay bottom line Dave your pastor we thought you were a good guy till today (laughs) what's your theology on do infants who die go to heaven here's the only thing I can say from scripture only if they're elect only if they're regenerated only if they believe otherwise you have two gospels the gospel of infancy and the gospel of belief and Romans 1 in my estimation deals with the question of those who've never heard the gospel they are still without excuse and I know that that plays into well that's adults but let let me say this a little more pastorally before I I move on even if that's as far as we go Um, I mentioned this in class so I'm not going to belabor some of those points but um, the stumbling block point on these A, B, C, D, and E is usually C when I give that as a view people will say yeah, if they're elect and they're regenerated God makes them alive then they can go to heaven but they don't believe because they're infants that part's impossible and I'm like so was your faith you were dead. Your faith was... You were made alive and you believed after you were spiritually dead. It's called a resurrection. He, he gave you a heart of flesh where there was a heart of stone. He opened your mind to understand. He opened the eyes of the blind. It's a miracle that anyone believes. All I'm suggesting is it would be a miracle for an infant to be able to believe what do they have to believe their comprehension has to be God's comprehension he's given to them but remember this it was not flesh and blood that gave this to you but my heavenly father revealed this to you I I don't look God's in charge of minds he's in charge of children he can do the miracle of belief and apply the blood of Jesus Christ to any infant who dies I have no problem with they all elect they all go to heaven but they do so through the gospel that would be my argument. Otherwise, you have a second gospel that I cannot prove from Scripture, and I'm left with that. Matt, were you going to say something? Along with your point, perhaps, it's also helpful that it's seasonal, but John the Baptist left within Elizabeth's womb, hearing Mary's voice. So helpful. Yeah, Matt Matt makes the point that John the Baptist leapt within Mary's womb when he heard uh, Mary's voice. And... You know, the idea, and some have, have, have said, uh, that there is spiritual life there because he's responding in, in the womb. And so if one could, the extrapolation is the argument, uh, argumentum del fortiori, you know, from one to the greater, if one did, then, you know, could that not be the case where God could save in the womb um, and... Uh, you know, I've used those arguments as well. They're a little tenuous, but they're but they're helpful as well. Yeah. Now, yeah, so does that apply to young younger uh, kids, let's say teenagers that grow up in a church, you know, baptized? Yeah. But well, they grow up in a church as a child. They're baptized. They do the whole Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Yeah. But then they they get to teenager. They live a rebellious life, and then right. they die in that period. And are they only saved if they are elected? Also does that apply to them? Because I have a, big, a big yeah. problem with that, that in the church where a kid grew up in a church yeah. and a yeah. teenager they live a very robust life and yeah. then the child died and then everybody was like, Well, he's in heaven, she's in really He was a bad guy, yeah. yeah. Bad. We we both know now that that one verse in, in John where it says they went out from us because they were never of us. And ultimately, I think that's what it's talking about. And, and then, of course, this, the soils, the four soils, they believed for a time, temporal faith, Hebrews chapter 6, you know they tasted of the good kingdom, they were, they were in the body of Christ, they saw it, they tasted, they worshipped. But it says, far, but there, it was like water, rain hitting hard ground and running off. It never personally did anything there. We're not the judge of people. And it's possible. A lot of the membership interviews I've done in the last 15 years would be like a young man who grew up in the church, walked away from the church, and 12, 15, 19 years later, through the graciousness of God and the prayers of God's people, that person comes back and he says, I know for sure now that Jesus is my Savior. And so I never write anybody off in that case. But yes, the answer is if a person leaves the faith, leaves the church, walks away and never comes back, uh, the, the evidence on the table is there's no fruit. And they probably had a false conversion, a false profession at, at their early stage. But we never give up praying. And you think of so many history examples, and in our own lives of praying for people. But I think of Saint Augustine, the great, you know, early church father, or theologian. Uh, his mother, Saint Monica. Uh, I know I'm using the word Saint. I grew up Catholic, but Santa Monica and Saint Augustine, or uh, Saint Augustine, you know, named after them too. But uh, she was a believer and prayed for her son. And he was just wicked and all of those things. But he was converted at 33 years old. And by God's grace, just before Monica died, you know, it, often God uses those prayers to turn people around. So uh, God said, my hand is not shortened that I cannot save. And there's no child of a believer that is beyond. If they're alive, there's still hope uh, in God's saying, And God can save anybody. He saved me. So I know he can save anybody. Yeah, Karen. Um, back to John the Baptist. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, at the bottom line, yeah. At the, Karen, you're absolutely right. At the bottom line, if you're elect, you're going to get saved. There's no elect people who don't get saved. And there's no non elect people who go to heaven. Uh, it's like, I got here, you know. But um, you're absolutely right, Karen. You know. If you're elect, you'll be saved. And we both know in Romans, Paul's not going to address that to Romans 9. Where he says, "Okay, all that stuff I told you," and the class kept asking you, <laughs> right? And in Romans 9, he goes, "Okay, let's talk about that. Here's why. Here's what election is. Here's how people get saved. Here's what doesn't happen if the election doesn't take place." Okay. Wow. More questions? No, no, no. I'm just. Yes, ma'am. Um. I have a question. Is there a distinction between moral capacity, typically, in the sense that no one and Outside of the words of God, looking a lot versus physical capacity to understand. Because, for example, in the Bible it says, "How do people believe? They come by hearing, hearing by the word of God." That's right. But when you're talking about an like, infant or someone who is a limited mental capacity, yeah, they don't understand. Like, there's a degree to which, like, yes, you can hear the gospel mm-hmm. it at a very early age, right? But like, at what point does that understanding give us action? It's a great question, and there's a, a super great amount of questions in there. Uh, let me say three quick things, and we'll probably be done. Um, everyone is judged, out, everyone outside of Christ is judged by the light they received and how much light. You know, like Jesus said, hey, this city's going to suffer worse than these other cities because they saw the miracles. So no one is judged above their light level, but no one is innocent because of ignorance of the law is no excuse. You know. So there's this there's this volume in the middle. Number two, it's clear infants do not have the the mental capacity uh, to understand the gospel as we're we're presenting it here. That would be the normal understanding. But what I'm positing thirdly is that because everyone, according to Romans and the rest of Scripture, is, doesn't understand, is blind spiritually, is every adult also has the same problem in the moral realm, in the, in the soulish realm that the baby has in the physical realm the, the brain and so I would just simply suggest that when God overcomes the moral inability, the mind can't understand the gospel of an adult uh, and he overcomes all of those things, it's a miracle Therefore, I would just posit and say it's certainly possible in my world that he would overcome the inability of the human brain to comprehend and give comprehension sufficient to believe. I know those are different conversations a little bit, but I would say this: there's a difference. You know, my dad died uh, with Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's doesn't kill you, but he died. He had Alzheimer's, and I always made the distinction: he's a believer. I always made the distinction between the mind and the brain and that's what scripture does the brain is only the physical computer by which the mind accesses the outward world but the mind is not gone you see what i mean every person has a mind in their soul the ability to think and all that even if they can't bring it out here with the brain and so god can do many things that so my point would be how does god save people through miracle? And so if he's saving infants in the womb, it's through the same miracles uh, that are a miraculous basis. So again, think through scripture. Great question. I'm so sorry I can't address all the rest of the questions, but we are in overtime. Hey, sorry, man, I'm going to pray.